being, for instance, um, a girl who was on the RUF staff at the University of Memphis, her name is Casey Coleman. Is that right, Casey Coleman? I think it's Casey Coleman. Casey Coleman did a um, uh, seminar called the Venus uh, Flytrap for Christian women. College Christian women, not men, women. And in that seminar, she met with 300 women, not men. Did I say that? Women. Asking the 300 women. Is there a theme here? Women about their struggles with pornography. Not men. Women. And um, guess how many responded that they were struggling out of the 300? 300. It's a different era, uh, guys. It's a different world. Um, t- do you know what young women are doing now uh, in terms of... Um, uh, handling their bodies, uh, you know, making themselves look cute. They're wrapping their bodies in saran wrap and running. Now, that's what your students are facing. And you're going to take them to a soccer tournament. Don't do it. Please, please, please. Uh, you know, I, I, only the Holy Spirit can save. I understand that. But, guys, at least the information is going to be available to them. Oh, um... Might God help us to save our youth. <laughs> anyway, that's where I've been. I've been uh, uh, talking to them. Okay, guys, um, let's go back to Romans 8. By the way, I took home, um, I, I just, I'm telling you, um, out of this seminar from this, this, this uh, uh, woman, RUFer, um, they had 41 questions that she had typed up. 41 questions from the women. I couldn't show my wife the questions that these women were asking. And, and my wife and I, you know, are fairly intimate. <laughs> um, but I couldn't show her these. And I said, darling, they're here for you if you want to see them, but I don't think you want to see them. And she said, I don't want to. And I'm telling you, you don't want to see them. You don't want to hear the questions that college women are asking. You don't want to see them. You don't want to see them. You, you, you would... You would maybe the youngers of you wouldn't. Uh, maybe the Kelsey and the Jasons they wouldn't. But the uh, the old guys like me are what? You're doing what? I'm telling you guys. Um, let me ask you a question. How many of you know what FTF stands for? You don't want to know. You don't want to know. But there are groups being advertised at the University of Memphis, FTF. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'll shock the daylights out of you, okay? Because this was on Katie Couric's, uh, this is, um, the first two words are friends that. Now, can you fill in the rest? 
That's what's being advertised, ladies and gentlemen, at the University of Memphis for your college students. So now, if you want to take them to a soccer tournament, by all means, do it. But there is so much at stake here. Woo! In fact, you know what Robert Browning said to me? He said, I said, are we, is this inappropriate for high school students? He said, ridiculous. You need to get your junior high in it. <laughs> okay. That's just coming from the college campuses uh, that your kids are, you know, one day going to be on. <laughs> oh, my, what a mess. Okay, where was I? Um, Romans chapter 8. Uh, let's read verses 12, 13, 14, and 15 and um, do something real quick, and then we'll jump into um, tonight. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Uh, guys, let, let me do something real quick to uh, hopefully tie up a loose end. Two weeks ago, we were together over verses 12 and 13, and really the... The major uh, gist of my thrust uh, two weeks ago had to do with the last um, part of the sentence, the last half of the sentence of verse 13, which says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Uh, what I was trying to communicate, and apparently not very well, um, uh, two weeks ago, was the, the, the beauty that is to be found in that half of a sentence. That there is a wonderful combination that is mentioned there concerning the life of sanctification in the, in the, in the life of the believer. You'll notice in those words, it says, uh, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. You see there, there's, there's a combination of two things. It is a call for you to put to death the deeds of the, of the body. But you'll notice that prepositional phrase, if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body. And so there you see those two things set side by side, which is the formula, ladies and gentlemen, for Christian sanctification. It is putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. I will never put to death the deeds of the body by labors of the flesh. It will only be done by the Spirit. But I will, it will never be done only by the Spirit. It will be done as I cooperate with the Spirit. That's, that's that beautiful combination. The next day, I had a phone call from one of you. He's uh, seated in this room tonight. And bless his heart, he was asking all the right questions. And, and he was asking the questions, and it, it disturbed me that I had left him with that much lack of clarity. And it wasn't his fault. It was mine. And so um, he was asking his questions, and he, you know, he uh, asked this, that. He said, all right, let me just ask, let me put it to you this way, Dr. Young. He said, um... Um, let's imagine that I have a problem with Internet porn. This man does not have a problem with Internet porn. But he just said, let's just say I did. And um, what would you say to me in terms of that battle? How would you instruct me in terms of waging war with that, that terrible thing? Now, that's a great question. And I, I didn't address that. So here's what I said to him. Here's what I want to say to you, and hopefully it will help you understand this wonderful 
combination that you find in the last half of verse 13. Here's what you would say. Do everything that you can to avoid. You pull, unplug the computer. Um, you um, uh, cancel your Playboy subscription. You uh, turn off the television. When in, you, you do everything that you can that would um, contribute to any type of pursuit of pornography. But before any of that happens, you come to God in the morning and you cry out to Him for His assistance and help as you, knowing of your dependence upon the Spirit, labor at putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Do you see the combination in that? That's what, that's what this text is teaching. You are responsible to put it to death knowing that it will never be done while you grit your teeth and exercise the control of your will, it will be done by the Spirit. But it will not be done only by the Spirit. That's what's here in verse 13, and, and I hope that uh, further clarifies. Now, which takes us to verses 14 and 15. Now, guys, um, Paul has just called us to mortify the deeds of the body. He's just called us to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, as I've just said. But it's only the Christian that will do that. And I, and I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen, if, if you are in fact right now engaged in that battle, no matter what the victory, no matter what the level of success, no matter what the degree of success, if you are right now engaged in that battle, that is proof positive that you are being led by the Spirit, which is, of course... Um, uh, evidence that you are born of the Spirit. The only people who engage in this battle are Christians. So I'm not asking you what level of success you're having. I hope you're having great success. I'm sorry you're having so little success. I'm sorry I'm having so little success. But if you are engaged in that battle, that alone is an indicator of, of, of complete finality of who you are. Engaging in this battle is only something that's done by people who are born of the Spirit. Now, guys, um, so he goes on then to say, so are as many as are led, that is, evidence of you being led by the Spirit is that you're engaged in this battle. These are sons of God. Now, guys, keep reading with me. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again and fear, but the, uh, receive the spirit of adoption. All right. Here's what I decided to do tonight. Um, Paul introduces in this in these two verses a couple of new words for Paul. Actually, uh, the, this idea of the sons of God in verse 14, that is the first time that Paul has used that phrase in the book of Romans. The second word that I'm, I want to draw your attention to is the word adoption in verse 15. That's the first time that this word has been mentioned in the New Testament. That's the first time you'll find the word adoption in the New Testament, right there in uh, Romans 8.15. I'm not trying to give you a nice little Bible fact. I'm trying to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the section that's in front of us is about adoption. This section from uh, verses 14 all the way through 17 is about sonship. How do you become a son? You get adopted. This is about sonship. So that the, the, the word that becomes 
very important to us, is the word adoption. Now, what I want to do before we look at the text very far is that I want to spend some time with you over the term adoption. Because as important as the word is, it's fairly um, unfamiliar, I think, to the evangelical audience. It's only mentioned five times in the New Testament. It's mentioned here and in verse 23 and in chapter 9, verse 4. It's mentioned once in Paul's letter to the Galatians in 4-5 and once in his letter to the Ephesians in 1-5. Um, but having been mentioned only five times, it still has found its way into what's known as the Ordo Salutis. Now, guys, that's what I want to go with, over with you real quick. This might be a, a, an unfamiliar term to some of you, the ordo salutis. Um, if you've been through my systematics class, you've heard of this term, ordo salutis. There is in systematic theology, ladies and gentlemen, um, the attempt on the part of systematicians to arrange conversion into a sequence. The Bible never gives us the full sequence, but it does tell us that certain things precede one another. For instance... What comes first, justification or glorification? Justification. So you see, there is a sequence. And so that's what the order, that's a Latin term which means the order of salvation. Now, um, uh, it would go something like this, calling, regeneration, um, uh, faith and repentance or conversion, um, justification, adoption, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, um, sanctification, um, perseverance, and glorification. Now, th- th- that's the ordo salutis. Every time when I'm in my systematics class and I say, okay, help me out here. Let's start plugging in some of these, these positions um, on this order of salvation, and I say, okay, let me help you. We'll start with glorification. Um, glorification is last. And so they start thinking, okay, if glorification is last, let me work backwards. And so they start getting some of this stuff. But the one thing they never get, never get, is this one. Adoption. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, um, do you like the idea of being known As a son of God? Do you like the idea of being thought of as being in the family of God? Well, that's all wrapped up in this term. Adoption. Now, uh, my point is, it's only mentioned five times in the New Testament, but it's found its way into the Ordo Salutis. And every time I put this up on a board, nobody knows it's it's there. Nobody can tell me, oh, yeah, adoption comes right in there, right before justification. Nobody knows that. So what I thought I might do is spend, oh gosh, um, a few minutes. We'll have to come back and wrap it up next week. But um, let, me, let me just tell you this too. The, the term adoption is very, very popular in, I, in our day because of a movement. A movement, ladies and gentlemen. I hate movements. But uh, it's called the sonship movement. Have you heard of it? Has anybody ever heard of the sonship movement? Sonship is some, it's a wonderful thing, but it's very controversial. I had a man in my office yesterday who told me that a friend of his just got fired at his job. He's a pastor, just got fired at his job because he was way too much into sonship. 
<laughs> Isn't that something? Uh, sonship has created friction in the body of Christ. There's a movement that, that, that uh, it, um, emphasizes adoption and sonship. And it's become divisive. It's very, very voguish in evangelical circles today, ladies and gentlemen. Because everybody likes to sing, I belong to the family of God. We all like to sing the song. Um, and so, there's picking up on that theme, there's been a movement, and it's become controversial. So I thought you might want to know what adoption is or a little bit about it. Um, let me tell you this, gang, and just two quick things. And this is probably all we're going to get be able to do, but... Um, when, when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray, something very radical happened, ladies and gentlemen. Um, now, you know, we pray that from time to time in here, um, uh, and you've prayed it all your life. You know the Lord's Prayer, don't you? You know, you know it by heart. Way to go. Did I ever tell you the story about uh, when I was in seminary and, and um, I was preaching in these little tiny little churches all across Mississippi, and, and um, I got into this church and... Um, it was a Methodist church. I mean, those churches in Mississippi, they don't care what you are as long as they can get somebody to fill their pulpit. And we were, you know, in a Reformed Seminary in Jackson. So they'd take anybody. I mean, you know, so we, and believe me, when they got me, they got anybody. Uh, just give us that loud one. We'll take him. Uh, so um, <laughs> this was one of my greatest nightmares as a preacher is um, um, <laughs> I'm going to let you all in on a little secret tonight. Just a little secret just between me and you. Don't tell me. Uh, so here I am in this, 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 this place, and I'm preaching my little heart out. No, 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 I hadn't got to preaching a preaching my little heart out. We're going through all the, you know, the singing and stuff and doing all the, you know, Gloria Potteries and the, you know, Holy, Holy, Holies and the, and the, and the, you know, all those responsive readings and all those things. And, uh, came to the Lord's Prayer, and, and I'm leading the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And at some point, I don't remember exactly where it was, I forgot it. Just... Just forgot it and just stopped. <laughs> and instead of these people going on without me, you know, because they knew it, <laughs> they stopped with me. <laughs> so there, we, here we were in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, stopped. <laughs> and I was just petrified. <laughs> and so, so finally, I thought of something at the end. And I skipped the whole guts of it because I never did remember it. Um, and, and, and I finished up in, uh, and glory be to the Father, amen. <laughs> and they, you know, so, okay, go ahead. <laughs> but, but anyway, ever since that, e- that event, ladies and gentlemen, I never, never lead the Lord's Prayer over there or anyplace else unless I've got it in front of me. <laughs> because, you know, it's amazing how you can, okay, that's enough. Um, all right, but gang, in the Lord's Prayer, there is something very radical that, help, that, that takes place. How many of you in here, in your libraries, have books entitled The Names of God? Anybody got a book uh, entitled The Names of God? Yeah, yeah. There's lots of books like that out. And they're good because they give you all the names, El Shaddai, Elohim, El Sedek, um, uh, El, um, um, uh, El Sidkenu, you know, just all these names of God. But ladies and gentlemen, when Judaism got ready to list all of the names of God that they used to address address Jehovah, conspicuous by its absence was the name Father. No well-respecting Jew would have ever used that term. 
They would call him um, um, the Almighty of Almighties. They would call him the most uh, omnipotent, powerful being. But they would never, ever, ever presume to call God Father. So the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. He says, okay, you know, you ready? Take your notes. Here we go. Start like this. Say, our Father. That was as radical as anything they had ever heard. The very idea that somehow the relationship now was not from lawgiver to lawkeeper. It was a relationship of son and father. Ladies and gentlemen, what you enjoy and take for granted 22,000 years later is something that shook the average Jew to the core of his being. We saunter into his presence and say, Our Father art in heaven. When that word stuck on the tongue of a consistent Jew, what? Me call God? Father, I can't do it. I can't do it. So, ladies and gentlemen, all I'm saying is this whole idea of your being the son of God is a prized and precious, precious privilege to which the religious communities of the world were only allowed with the coming and the completing of the work of Jesus Christ. Brand new, ladies and gentlemen. You take it for granted, it rolls off your lips with ease. Not always has that been the case. Now, this morning, when I'm trying to prepare what I'm going to say to you, there is an issue here that I'm going to, I, I'm going to I, let me just say this quick story. Um, I, I'm, I was thinking about, you know, what I should do with the issue that's here, and I decided, well, you know what? I'm not even going to raise it because nobody's going to ask it, and... Um, so it, there's no need to me, you know, just you know, stir in a pot for you know for no good reason. So just you know, avoid it. Um, you know, just don't 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 raise it. Don't 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 lift the issue. I'm, I don't know whether you've seen my little home office, but I'm you know I've got a, a desk right in front of the window, and I'm looking out the window, and my computer is right over here. My computer is on. And you get one of those little ding dongs, you know, when you get a when you get an email, whatever it is, a little beep beep, or whatever it is. And um, so, you know, the little thing went beep, beep. And, and so, you know, I turned over to my um, computer and I had this waiting on me. And I read it <laughs> in the midst of, you know, at the exact moment that I'm thinking, well, should I raise this issue? It's not that big of a deal, but I thought it's worth it. But um, um, I, I didn't think it was, you know, profitable for you. But apparently I'm wrong. But anyway, um, this comes from one of our college students, a young woman who is just a prize of this church, just a delight. She's going to a, a school, and um, here's the issue. Uh, Dr. Young, just wanted to pass on something that happened to me during my literature class last week. I thought you might find it interesting and or useful as another example of what kids are going up against in college. First, because of the feminist Tolerant thought processes of the liberally inclined people using the generic word he is no longer acceptable. I was informed in my world literature class 
that using he is too exclusive. This then led into an interesting discussion of whether then it is really acceptable to always refer to God as he. And how some people refer to him as she or mother and that we should take their preferences into consideration. Second, we were discussing how different translations of works compare to each other. So my prof pulls out three translations of Psalm 139. We read them, and then she asked whether we thought that that they all captured the same essence and meaning. One translation was the King James translation, no problem there. The other two, however, and she, she gave them to me, the other three translations. Now, let me read you just the first line of Psalm 139. This is the New King James, and it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. All right? <laughs> this is one of the competitive translations. Omnipresent consciousness, you look out through my eyes and the eyes of my friends and family. <laughs> Omnipresent consciousness. Now, guys, here's my point. I'm sitting at my computer and I'm thinking, wait a second. This whole idea of sonship is really not that um, politically correct. Gang, the sonship that I'm going to tell you about next week, the sonship of uh, the Roman Empire. Paul is borrowing a term from an institution that existed freely in Romanism. But, ladies and gentlemen... Adoption was a male-dominated institution. When Romans adopted, they didn't adopt females. They adopted sons. Sons being the son of God is thought of today as being very gender-insensitive. That's the issue that I didn't necessarily want to raise. I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, we don't need to bypass this. These people, you know, they got, they got all that there. And then I get this email. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, maybe I should mention it. So I'm mentioning it. Folks, um, this whole idea of adoption is a masculine-only concept. It, 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 Paul is using it to refer, refer to an institution that was common in Romanism. It was a very often a man, usually a wealthy man without an heir, who went out and found himself an heir. But when he found himself an heir, he didn't find a female. He found a male. Now, ladies and gentlemen, having said all that, may, might I try to ameliorate this very awkward situation in the 21st century. Very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, what Paul is doing here is almost as radical, not quite as, but almost as radical as what Jesus did when he taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. It's almost that radical. Because here's what he's doing, ladies and gentlemen. What he is doing is applying the term sonship to all believers, male and female. Very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, what Paul is doing here is using a Roman institution 
and using it as inclusive of both males and females. All who were led by the Spirit, both males and females, are now sons and adopted. That, ladies and gentlemen, did not sit well then. It does not sit well today. What you've got Paul doing is very culturally radical. Because he's using a male-dominated institution and saying that that is something that includes even females. And I hope you mean when I say even, I'm talking about the culture, even our culture. But gang, let me say this and I'll shut up for the night. The fact that you women are called sons of God should be no more offensive to you than that we men are called the bride of Christ. Why this has become so offensive, I know not. But I think our young lady, in the, in the name of being tolerant, it, it, is, it, is, it has reduced us to omnipresent consciousness. She closes her letter by saying this. Are kids getting ready for college and even just life away from home able to discern when new age, pantheistic, humanistic philosophy is creeping into our scriptures? Do they realize the effects of giving up referring to God as He and using Gender-neutral references? It's a college freshman, ladies and gentlemen. Do your kids know that? Do you know that this idea of becoming gender-sensitive is also an assault upon this book that we hold so dear? So, ladies and gentlemen, I've done nothing more tonight then introduce you to the grand and glorious doctrine of adoption and remind you that as a result of the finished work of Christ, we belong to the family of God. Let's go. Our Father, we thank you for your word and I pray that you will allow us to enjoy it at the depths of our being, that we might find ourselves thrilled over its radical uh, thrusts and, and, and ideas. Father, the idea that you allow me, the sinner, to call you my Father is something that ought to warm the hearts of every believer. The idea that men have become the bride and women have become sons and we're all of equal footing in the body of Christ. How radical that was for that day, how radical apparently it becomes for our day. And I pray, O oh God, that you might make us a people who stand not as fundies, not as silly, supercilious handlers of the word, but seriously wrestling with a culture that wants to introduce pluralism into our Bible. 
And I pray, Lord, that you might allow us to equip and prepare not only our children but their parents to respond to a culture that's gone mad. Mad in its sexuality. Mad in its identity crisis. Mad in its addictions. Mad in its search for peace and righteousness. And I pray that you will raise up a people of, that are so, so informed and so committed that they might be able to answer the questions that are being asked in the marketplace of ideas. Oh God, there's a lot of ways that Gracie Van has failed you. Forgive us. And help us now to right the ship so that our youth can walk onto a college campus unafraid of professors such as these. Father, we pray for the not yet righteous. And we pray that you will raise up your people to point them in the direction of where all hope is to be found. Christ Jesus the Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks and good night.